guys. Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Irish Balance podcast. If you are new to this podcast, you're very welcome. My name is Dr. Kira Kelly. I am a medical doctor specializing in public health and creator of the Irish Balance blog and Instagram platform. If you are a regular listener, then you know who I am. Um, this week, I am delighted to be joined by Dr. Nikki Stamp, who is an Australian cardiothoracic surgeon. And Nikki trained throughout Australia and holds a Bachelor of Surgery and Bachelor of Medicine with honours, as well as a fellowship of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons in Cardiothoracic Surgery. And her research is widely published in various medical and surgical journals. And she's also my first ever guest from Australia. Um, Research includes mentoring and gender in surgery and improving the patient journey and outcomes after cardiac surgery and the way plaque or what's called atherosclerosis forms in our arteries. And her first book, Can You Die of a Broken Heart, has been translated into seven different languages. And her second book, Pretty Unhealthy, was just released in 2019, which I devoured when we finally got it in Ireland and the UK. Welcome to the podcast, Nikki. How are you doing? Oh, I'm really good. Thank you for having me. It's so cool to it's so cool to be talking to people from around the world. I think um, one of the the good things about COVID is that we're like, oh, let's just get on with it. We'll talk on Skype, and so it means I get to talk to people from all over. It's really awesome. It's brilliant, yeah. Like, and we've worked out the time difference, which is great. So it's your evening <laughs> right now, and it's my morning, which just blows my mind. But we were saying that before we started recording. It's nice to connect through these kind of platforms. Yeah, hugely. It's it's really really is um it really is wonderful, and I feel like people are um making in some ways making more of an effort to just go just go with it and and chat to each other. So it's it's been really nice, and you know I followed you for a while, so it's really cool to have a chat. I'm I'm very it excited. Is. We're not just handles; we're actual people, which I think actual, is great. Actual people, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Nikki, I'm going to start off by asking you a bit about your background. Um. I'd love if you could tell the listeners a bit about yourself and, and your path in medicine and to surgery then. Yeah, sure. It's a bit of a weird story. Um, so I um, I wanted to be a surgeon. I wanted to be a heart surgeon actually when I was just a, a baby. I was eight and I used to see a surgeon here by the name of Victor Chang who was a transplant surgeon working in Sydney um, and he was on the news all the time because he was working on a durable mechanical heart and I thought that was just amazing. Um, so as an eight-year-old, that's what I was going to do. I was very precocious. And then um, I got a bit sidetracked as a teenager um, and, you know, teenagers do, and I was mm-hmm. actually going to be an accountant um, because oh, my parents are accountants. <laughs> Oh really? Oh, that's yeah. That's lucky you. <laughs> um, I um, I uh, yeah, I I kind of I wanted to study musical theatre, but my dad's an engineer and he's super super sensible, so he's like, you have to get a real degree first. <laughs> but I wasn't really I wasn't really feeling the accounting vibe, so I um I I tried to work out what I was going to do, and I thought that I had kind of ruined all my chances because I sort of underperformed a bit at school. I didn't think I was smart enough to do anything challenging or difficult. And um, in the end, what I what I did was decide that I wanted to, I do want to do medicine. I do want to be a doctor. And so I started off studying science, um, majoring in anatomy and exercise physiology, strangely. Um, mm. And then I uh, got into medicine and, and I was always going to be a surgeon. 
Um, and so I started out um, my intern year. So it's very similar sort of pathway for training in Australia as it is in Ireland and the UK. Um, so I started out as an intern. I started um, surgical training after that. Um, and I finished my training about six years ago. So I've been a consultant for six years, um, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> I just, it's like whenever I say that, I think that I'm like, oh, my God, that's a, that's, I didn't when did that happen? Yeah, um, <laughs> adulting. <laughs> and I am. I'm an actual adult. Um, yeah, I, I specialize in adult cardiac surgery. I specialize in coronary disease. Um, I specialize in women's heart disease. I specialize in aortic surgery and transplant. Uh, and I also have this other completely random career where I write books and um, stuff around on social media <laughs> and host TV shows and um, and I'm about a year into my PhD as well. So um, I I think I need some uh, downtime. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that doesn't leave much room for a bit of wiggle. That is keeping you no. busy, I'm sure. Very. <laughs> yeah. I love there's so many parts of your journey that resonate with me. Um, the one of the, the key parts that stood out there for me was like I found in secondary school as well towards like fifth and sixth year for us um I had kind of touched on like science and was like maybe I'll go there I really like working with people and I had that similar thing where I was like oh, I don't think I can do medicine I don't know if I'm able for that and that kind of self-doubt yeah um and that kind of just speaks to me from what you've described there but it sounds yeah. like that's something that your your parents helped you overcome as well to kind of make oh, yeah. a decision to pursue it absolutely I think um I think they they kind of had to because I just didn't have that belief in myself and, and mm. neither did my teachers you know my year 10 teacher so I would have been about 15 at the time told my parents at parent teach night that I wasn't um I wasn't ever going to be a doctor or a lawyer because I wasn't Ooh. good at maths <laughs> Which we never use. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. I actually don't use maths that often. <laughs> so it's a bit of a struggle. But I um, I do remember that comment and I, you know, I'm kind of like, well, I showed her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you have those kind of look back moments where, like you were just mentioning there about kind of six years being a consultant and you kind of go, wow, like if your past self could see you now, you know, I think that's that's a really special thing to kind of have insight into. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and what do you think would be like, are there major challenges that have kind of stood out to you along the way, like from going from a student into, I suppose, a surgical consultant? Mm. Yeah, so I think that one of the things that, you know, whenever I, I tell people, you know, my sort of career pathway or what's happened, you know, amongst that time, although, you know, I've, I've done really well and I've achieved, you know, so much in that time and I'm super pleased and, you know, I, I, I keep setting myself these goals, mm -hmm. um, you know, what... What I don't think people necessarily hear about um, is that there are lots of ups and downs in that journey, um, that, you know, there are lots of difficult things that happen along the way. You know, certainly if I look at my, my time in training, you know, a lot of people don't don't sort of appreciate or don't understand what what that's like you know working 100 hour weeks um you know mm -hmm. moving across the country um by myself um i left my my then husband um back in perth and you know moved somewhere where you don't know anybody um uh, and um you know all those sorts of all those sorts yeah. of challenges you know and then when you become a consultant you know you are wholly wholly responsible for someone's life um, and you know that was something I, I didn't really appreciate until I got out and realized that the buck stops with me so everything that happens around someone's care 
I am responsible for. Uh, and that's that's a pretty like it's a pretty hefty burden um, yes. sometimes if you, if you get like too caught up in it. But to me, I, I sort of see that I, I see all of those those difficult times as as a challenge to be overcome and a, a, a time to improve and a time to learn from and and build on. So, um, you know, I, I would I would always say that whenever you hear someone's story, whether it be mine or someone else's, remember that there are some pretty big troughs <laughs> in are. that seemingly, yeah, seemingly smooth, uh, straightforward time. Yeah, it's like that diagram. I'm reading a book at the moment, The Imposter Cure, and there's a diagram about the path to success. And it's not this lovely, straight, you know, line. It is this wibbly wobbly wonder that is yes. just not, you know, it's it's not a linear process at all. And you're so right. There are so many sacrifices, I think, trainee students and trainee doctors make. Moving is really hard. Um, we do that yes. a lot in Ireland and it, it sounds like it's similar for you guys in, in Australia. Yeah, it can be. I mean, you know, moving, you know, moving across um, across the country here is not, you know, it's it's literally it's a lot more than me moving to Galway, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you can't drive. We well, can drive to Sydney, but it'll take you about a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's very, you know, it is. It can be really isolating starting in a new um, a new city, where wherever in the world you are. Um, you know, trying to prove yourself and trying to make friends, and you know, even just like simple stuff like finding a house. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> <makes> of life. <laughs> um, Nikki, I know I can tell from your Instagram alone, as well as talking to you, how passionate you are um, about your work as a surgeon. And one of the things I'm fascinated about is purpose in life and, and the idea of fulfillment and a fulfilling job and the idea of a why, like what makes you get out of bed in the morning? What is that for you, do you think? So I, I think uh, I was always keen on doing this um, and I think one of the big reasons is that my mum has had a lot of contact with healthcare systems throughout her life and she has a very severe form of arthritis um, and she that happened to her when she was quite young. Um, and I, I do remember at the time feeling dissatisfied with some of the aspects of her care um, and, you know, thinking I can do better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that's really important to me, that the, the patience. And, and really now that is the, the biggest, probably the biggest uh, kick I get out of my job, um, you know, that that satisfaction from helping someone. And, you know, I saw, um, I saw a, a, a gentleman who I operated on, um, several weeks ago, recently, I saw him on. Uh, I saw him on Skype because of social Aww. distancing. It was yeah. adorable. Um, <laughs> I was so pleased that he managed to work <laughs> work Skype. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, he was just. Yeah, you know, I went through the consult, and you know, everything's going really well, and he's physically doing well. And then he said to me, "You know, you can tell." that you love what you do and you really care about what happens to me. And I just burst into tears because oh I was like, I do, I do, I do. Um, Cause that's what gets me out of bed. I mean, I, I love, I love the technical side. I love the academic side and everything, but really at the end of the day to see someone go from not doing so well to doing quite well um, and to have them satisfied with that journey, I, I think is, is the most important thing for me. I love that. Um, that's the exact uh, impression that I get from hearing you talk about your work and from reading <laughs> your book as well. I think that's what's really wonderful. It's hard, I think, as doctors sometimes to find that area that makes us get out of bed in the morning. It was something I was obsessed with and that's how I ended up in, in public health. It just took me a little bit of time to find it, but it is <laughs> worth doing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you in medicine you need a bit of a passion because otherwise it is really difficult to to turn up if you're a bit lukewarm about it. 
Yeah, lukewarm. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> now, Nikki, obviously, um, one of the the things that I would have um, heard you talk about before is being a female heart surgeon. And I know you've been part of the I Look Like a Surgeon campaign as well. And you're one of 11 female heart surgeons in Australia. Am I right in saying that? I think we might be up to 12 or 13, Yay! but I'm not probably sure. Either way, it's 5%, 5%, around 5%. 5%. Yeah, so it's not, it's, and that's pretty comparable to um, the rest of the world. If you look yeah. at uh, UK, US, um, Ireland, um, most, you know, uh, most countries, Canada, et cetera, um, have pretty similar, uh, similar levels. And what has your experience been, I suppose, as mm. a female heart surgeon? Has, have mm-hmm. you found that to be... I suppose you can't compare it to a male experience because obviously you are a female, but you know what I mean? It, yeah. Have you found that to be a challenge? Yeah, um, it does present challenges. Um, uh, I think some of some of the time, the difficulties that I've had, um, I've, I've really gotten off light compared to other people um, and I've had it worse than other people. Um, and, you know, I, I try not to harp too much on about my personal experience because yeah. um, I, I don't want to make people feel like I'm singling them out. Um, Absolutely. But. But I do, I do, I, c- I can say with certainty that there is a lot of data to support that the way women in surgery, uh, uh, you know, their their career path, mm. um, their experience, their experience with patients, their experience with other healthcare workers is really different. Um, there is a significant amount of gender bias in 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 the world, but in yeah. medicine, medicine's pretty old school, uh, <laughs> yeah. and um, you know, it, it can be really difficult. You know, I've certainly I've had patients who refuse to. Um, to see me, I, I I operated on a woman about a year and a half ago um, for valve surgery, and it went really really well. She went home, she recovered, everything was awesome, um, and I got a letter from her cardiologist telling me that she doesn't want to see me because she's refusing to come to her follow up appointments with me because she's upset that a female surgeon did her operation. I was like, whoa, whoa. yeah. Wow. So that, I mean, that kind of stuff happens you know I think it happens to people who are visible minorities as well um and you know I I have to say in Australia the Royal Australian College of Surgeons has done a a good job in recent years of of trying to combat some of this um but uh you know there's still there's still a lot of work to be done um and I think part of that is actually convincing people that we all have a role to play um to to try and dismantle these kinds of kinds of problems and I think the other thing that's really missing from the conversation that people haven't quite cottoned on to yet is that uh, it matters to our patients uh, our patients deserve a workforce that is representative of who who they are um, yeah. and they do better if we give them that I love that it's um like that campaign um I'm gonna butcher the name now but you you can't see what you, you can't be what you can't see basically correct that, that was it. exactly yeah exactly. yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> And Nikki, one of the things that I find uh, I get asked about a lot is maintaining, um, although I don't know how I got here, similar to yourself, but maintaining a social media platform as a doctor um, and just finding balance with that time spent trying to be productive and have downtime offline and then trying to, I suppose, provide useful, helpful and I suppose responsible content online. Um, How have you found that experience as a doctor? Mostly good. Um, I, I'm very much a strong believer that uh, healthcare workers should be online and they should be online in a professional capacity because that's where our patients are. You know, yeah. the vast majority of people will look to online sources, including social media, for their health information. Um, and I think that it's important that there are healthcare professionals 
online providing good quality information. Um, and then if you look at it from a, the other side of it, not just our interaction with, you know, uh, the general public, but our interaction with one another. You know, so through social media, I've been able to meet and collaborate with and learn from, you know, colleagues from around the world. And all of a sudden, in my in my phone, in my pocket, I've got access to some of the world's leaders in, yeah. in my field um, and in other fields as well. And it's amazing. Uh, so I, I think that it's a really important thing for us to do. But I think you're right. We have to use it responsibly. Um, and a part of that responsibility, I think, is also being authentic, um, mm. not just painting this, you know, amazing picture of, of life and, you know, trying to be a bit more relatable. Um, but I think we also need to be really mindful of what we share that we're sharing the best evidence-informed um, information, um, that we're tackling, you know, myths and and trying to uh, dilute some of that really unhelpful information that mm-hmm. tends to hang around. Um, and I think also, you know, it is it does turn into a bit of a job, um, a bit of something else that you have to do. So I do think, as you kind of alluded to there, that balancing that and having some downtime and taking care of yourself, um, because sometimes online it feels a bit like people are using you as Google. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Sliding into your DMs. Right. You know, like someone someone messaged me recently and said, oh, you mentioned this paper in a podcast once. What paper was it? I was like, what? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> how many podcasts have you done at this stage? Like that would I take. Know. It's like I, I don't. I'm not. I'm really sorry. Um, yeah. I'm sure if you search for it, you'd be able to find a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so just you know, and like everybody, you know, I need to. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh my god, if I log on to Instagram one more time, I'm I going know. to like lose my tiny mind. So I need to step back. <laughs> Especially those times when you log on and that was not your intention when you picked up your phone. <laughs> Absolutely, like it's just a reflex now which is really bad <laughs> I started like changing where it is on my phone I read that somewhere in a book like because and then you actually get really scared because your thumb has memory but <laughs> it's actually a really eye-opening exercise Interesting. <laughs> yeah yeah like if it's on the bottom right of your phone flip it to the top left okay, and you will right. your your thumb will go bottom right and just keep changing it regularly it's, it's an interesting thing to do <laughs> hide it from myself <laughs> yeah exactly and <laughs> um, now the second area that I wanted to discuss with you Nikki was heart health and I know this is an area you're, you're hugely passionate about obviously um and coronary heart disease is one of the leading causes of death in Ireland and obviously in, in many developed countries and developing countries mm. um and this is an area I know you talk about a lot and one of my favorite bits of content I've ever seen from that you share was um on World Restarter Heart Day this year when you did the Instagram stories on CPR which I just thought was such a valuable thing to, to put out there um and of course get you know, the the life-threatening state of a heart attack is what we want to prevent. Um, And so what would be some key ways people listening can look after their heart health in a proactive way? I'm so glad you mentioned that CPR stuff. Mm-hmm. I um, I I sort of woke up. I knew uh, Restart a Heart Day was coming, and then I forgot about it and um, thought, oh, I really need to put something out for this. And I dragged my poor registrar around the hospital looking for a CPR mannequin oh, <laughs> to make it to make her film me doing CPR. <laughs> 
That's dedication so, to the job. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she she got a. I bought her a coffee for her travels, mm. um, which is probably not enough, really. Um, but look, you know, I, um, I, if she ever listens to this, I hope she knows. I'm very thankful for her video. Yeah. As um, am I. As am I. <laughs> um, but look, you know, you know, heart. You, you're 100% right. Heart health is is such a big thing, and um, there is a lot of uh, awareness campaigns around the world, um, in general, also targeting specific groups like women or, um, you know, here in Australia where, you know, there's a lot of work trying to create culturally appropriate um, resources for um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and, and there's an incredible amount of education that, that is happening because we do know that a lot of heart disease is preventable. Mm. Um, if we can get people engaged in, in healthy behaviours. Um, and I think that the the, the behaviours that we want them to, to get engaged in are exercise, um, not smoking, because there's still a lot of people who smoke, um, trying to eat a relatively healthful diet, uh, stress reduction, um, you know, uh, knowing your family history, uh, knowing so knowing yeah. if you have a bit of genetic predisposition, talking to your doctor about it. So they're all they're all seemingly really simple things, but the reality is they're not that not always that easy to put into practice um, for lo for lots of reasons. You know, I know I slack off exercise from time to time, and you know, I said I made cookies today. And they're really oh, tasty. <laughs> Um, so, you know, so like all those sorts of things are, it can be quite challenging to do and particularly more so if you're, um, you know, you have, uh, you know, other difficulties in your life, you know, where you live, how much money you make, your family situation, all those kinds of things. Uh, so we actually need to be getting that education out to the public and also empowering the public to be able to do that. So making it easy, for example, for people to, to exercise. So, you know, those, those kinds of things are just what we, we need to get the general public doing. I think one of the things I find frustrating around messaging, particularly from, you know, as we're seeing more recently from the diet industry or from influencers mm -hmm. that, um, you know, you have to go all out in order to be healthy. And the reality is if we just got most people even doing the smallest changes to their lifestyle, you know, even even running, I know not everyone likes running, but this is a great example, even running five minutes a day, that's it, even a little shuffle around the block um, will significantly reduce your risk of having heart disease. So we need to start setting some attainable and achievable goals for people to hit. I think that's brilliant. Um, such a comprehensive answer. And you're so right. It can seem like what we need to do to be quotation marks healthy is unattainable and magnified through social media. It's something that I've kind of had to figure out personally as well as seeing it professionally. And I think it's a huge challenge because what is important for our patients to do and the public to do is not these these huge, you know, unrealistic goals. It's the small things. And I know people get tired of us talking about the basics but they are mm -hmm. what make a difference and if so many doctors and healthcare professionals are saying it then it's probably yes. true <laughs> yeah that's exactly right exactly right and would there be um you mentioned a couple of different health or a few different health behaviors there obviously I know you'd work with a lot of different patients coming from a lot of different backgrounds so some of it's person dependence or much of it is but would there be particular behaviors that you have found your patients find the most challenging to be consistent with or to be sustainable about 
I think um, diet and exercise are the two mm. things that are that are, are the most difficult. Um, so actually, my my research is centered around physical activity. Um, okay. So um, I know that even after even after a heart attack or even after heart surgery, most people don't meet their physical activity requirements on a day-to-day basis mm. um so i'm hoping to that's what i'm going to discover what some of those barriers are but what we what we already know that there's things like not feeling like they're competent enough like you know so um not feeling like uh, if i say go for a run for example they're like oh god i can't run and therefore they're not going to do it um not having um access to to somewhere safe or somewhere um suitable to exercise all those kind of social factors you know for women particularly women don't exercise as much um and that can have a lot that i mean there's so many biological social psychosocial factors around that um so i find those two things the most difficult and a lot of it is is about knowledge and a lot of it is about social factors um and 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 some there's you know a degree of confidence and and you know feeling competent um around these behaviors so it's a really it's a really complex um complex thing and i'm hoping that with my during my phd we'll be able to solve some of the problems but um probably not all of them but i do think i do think um you know in order to actually help people overcome those those problems it's gonna it's gonna take a lot more than someone just telling you to exercise you're gonna have to change a lot about society at large mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as well as those individual factors in order to get that to happen. Absolutely and that's one of the big reasons that I went into public health was that there's an element of it's down to personal personal I don't like the word personal responsibility but yes the I know other what you side, mean. <laughs> yeah the environment yeah. has to be conducive to the healthier choice you know that's 100%. a key thing. Yep. Um, and it's just I find it really interesting now in a really abstract way with the pandemic like in Ireland we're only allowed to exercise within two kilometers of our home. And I have never seen more people out walking. Never in my life. It's the same here. I mean, because we, um, yeah, we were saying this before we started recording, we're, we're actually able to relax some of our restrictions tomorrow. But even still, you know, we're allowed out, we have been allowed out to exercise. And I've never seen so many kids out on the street riding their bikes. You know, there's stuff that I used to do when I was a kid and I just haven't seen in recent years. Um, people, people are just outside. I feel like because they've been told to stay inside, they're like, no, I really need to get out. <laughs> And exercise is a way that they're doing it. So it's been, it's a, it's a good side effect. <laughs> it is, it is. Yeah. Because I think people, a lot of people are so aware that, you know, they can get a bit of cabin fever, of course, by staying mm-hmm. home a lot. And while we do need to be staying home, well, and I, I know it, the advice is slightly different depending on the country, but mm-hmm. that little bit of exercise, I think, is a real bit of headspace for people. Oh, um, yeah, it's keeping yeah. me sane, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. You're so right, though, about kids. I saw a little girl on my way home from work learning to write without her stabilizers and I nearly oh, cried that so is adorable. I know it's like I remember that so well yeah <laughs> same and the last um just in relation to heart health Nikki the last thing I want to ask you because I couldn't have you on the podcast and not ask you this but your first book um is titled can you die of a broken heart and I know many people have experienced and I certainly have that intense emotional pain that comes with the end of a special relationship but probably your most asked question can someone really die of a broken heart? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and yes, we've all been there. Um, yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, it's just life, isn't it? Um, so it is. look, the, the it's it's not it's not a particularly straightforward answer. Mm. Uh, technically, yes, you can. Um, however, it's exceedingly uncommon for that to happen. So most of us, when we have heartbreak, and that can you know be in relation to 
you know, your job or, uh, you know, losing a loved one or breakdown of a relationship, um, you know, we, we do feel awful. And there is physical components to that emotional stress response. Our body does, um, you know, release a whole bunch of hormones. Um, it affects how, how fast our heart beats, affects our blood pressure, our immune systems, our sleep patterns. Um, but for most of us, even though we feel absolutely wretched, we'll, we, we will be fine. The, um, the, there is a group of people though who who can get quite unwell and even pass away after significant emotional stress. And there's two groups of those people. And there's the first group is the people who are, um, you know, perhaps a little bit older or who have underlying medical problems already. And one of my favourite stats is a study that looked at uh, the effect of. Uh, having heart disease and then watching the World Cup soccer. Um, and if you have heart, have a known heart disease and you're watching your team in the final, you are four times as likely to have a heart attack um, as someone oh who God. has. I know, right? I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty intense. Um, oh, yeah. So, um, so, you know, so that th- those people who tend to, to get sick and pass away, same with elderly people, it, it is it is that they have something underlying them. They're not, they're not going to be just, dropping dead all of a sudden from something bad happening. Mm. But there, there and then there is this other group, and this is really unusual and uncommon, and it's a really interesting illness that we're still learning a lot about, and this is called Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, which is um, also known as a stress-induced cardiomyopathy. It means that when a stressful event happens, the heart doesn't pump very well. And it's, re- it's not very common. It tends to happen in women who are postmenopausal. Um, now, not because women are more emotional. Um, there is some, <laughs> I have to always have to dispel that myth. Yeah. Um, there is some hormonal, physiological, biological factor at play there that we're not 100% sure what it is. But what happens is you get this massive rush of adrenaline and it, it impairs the heart's ability to pump so well. And most people recover from this fine. Um, some people get very, very sick. Um, but it is it is the the ultimate dying of a broken heart. Um, you know, so it, very unusual. So that's a the, technically yes, but, you know, as much as you feel completely awful, you will be fine. <laughs> I actually, it's funny, um, I read the title of your book not long after. Uh, so I haven't read your first book because when I saw the title of the book, it was about two months after I had uh, been at the end of a, of a long relationship and it was a really hard time. And I was like, oh, I think I'll I read that in maybe a year when I feel like I can. <laughs> so it's That's on so my funny. list. It's on my oh. list for this year because at the time I was like, that really speaks to me, but I just can't read that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. I would be the same. <laughs> Because I have read, obviously, your second book, but I was like, no, I just, I can't do that yet. I just really need. <laughs> and anyway, so it's, but it's a good sign that I now feel able to read that book. So that's fab. I'm, I'm super pleased to hear that for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, we are going to touch on your second book because I just, this book, I loved it so much. So Pretty Unhealthy is your second book, Nikki, obviously. And it's just spoke to me on so many levels, both professionally and personally, like you're a massive and very inspiring advocate for changing the way we think about our health. And it was clear to me that this was a journey you'd been on yourself too, as have I. Um, And I think Mm. it really spoke to me because as a doctor, I think sometimes I can, I'm sure others do as well, feel like, well, I'm a medical professional. Like I shouldn't, you know, fall for these things or make these mistakes. I should be able to see through some of the BS out there, but we're human and, mm-hmm. you know, we're all fallible to that sort of thing. Can you tell us where the idea for the book came from? Yeah, so I I started to think a little bit about 
some of the reasons why we might be struggling with with health because you know as mm. we know there's a lot of talk and uh, a lot of statistics showing that you know we're getting sort of sicker um, as a population um, mm. yet at the same time you know you can walk down the street and see gyms everywhere um, you know there's yep. go to the supermarket and there's healthy choices there's protein you know this and organic that and you know yep. it's like why raw this that, and raw that right yeah exactly and what, what they, the two don't sort of match up and i start thinking look the reason that that doesn't match up is because those things that are pretending to be health are actually all about beauty um and i started to to look into some of the ways we are shown how to be healthy in particularly by uh, advertising by diet industry by fitness industry and realize that they are very unhelpful um, for a lot of people and and you're right it was a bit of a journey for me because this was um stuff that I had to to research and and find out about and and for me when I started writing that book so in the book I talk a little bit about you know, diets that I've done, um, including when I was uh, at medical school, I was doing bodybuilding. So I was eating like not a lot and training quite a bit. Um, yeah. And I, you know, this is probably, you know, oh, probably nearly 20 years down the track. I, from, from that time, I still had a lot of a lot of um, baggage from from food and exercise um, related to that time, and really, actually, uh, researching that and um, thinking about it, and and you know, um, re talking to other people about it, talking to my friends and family was a real healing journey for me. Um, mm. Changed uh, changed the way I think about my own health quite significantly, and by far and away has made the biggest difference in my life to my own health behaviours. Uh, I exercise really for enjoyment and for yeah. um, skill attainment. I eat a much healthier diet, not just in the fact that I'm not um, depriving myself, but I actually eat uh, I eat more vegetables and and stuff that I've ever mm. eaten before, and, and I don't beat myself up for getting stuck into the chocolate. Um, yeah. I just do it and move on. So it was a real it was a real healing it was a heal, healing process for me, and I'm sort of hoping that's what other people get from it. But at the same time, you know, after you know, in the in the period since the book came out. It's very, very hard to dismantle those those feelings and those um, those systems and those industries and um, and come to sort of an understanding um, a, a, a kind of middle ground where we we're con mm. we're concerned and focusing on our health and doing the right things for our health, but also ignoring all the garbage because that's really hard to do. And I always joke that my second book should have been something called like the Heart Surgeon's Diet. Um, yeah, because like, <laughs> I would have sold a lot more books. <laughs> oh no! Listen, I I couldn't encourage people to read that book more. I read it at a really good time for me. Like I um obviously I'm I'm sooner out of of medical school, but I found I was I was in a similar way in medical school. I wasn't bodybuilding, but I was using exercise excessively for stress management, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've talked about that on my blog and stuff. So that's that's not a deep revelation on the podcast here. But yes. it's only when I look back now, and it's probably about three years now that my relationship with like food and exercise has vastly improved. Um, yeah. it, it really does, like, it's hard to describe. I haven't spoken about this part of it much. But like, it really, it, it is a bit of a wow moment when you go, oh my God, like that was just, it wasn't for enjoyment. It wasn't the image and yeah. the message I was being sold was not about enjoyment. It was about burning and earning and punishment and yep. 
it was just yeah is that when I read your book I just I was in a really good place with my own journey and I, it was very healing for me too so thank you yeah. oh I'm glad to hear that that's really nice to hear it means that doing what I what I wanted it to do yeah I think it really speaks to the importance of a balanced and sustainable and healthy relationship with food and exercise mm. I think yeah yes well, you've answered my next question, which was, who was the, who were you writing the book for? And I think that that's <laughs> yeah. preempted like that I was, answer. I sounds like I was writing it for myself. I wasn't just yeah. for me. <laughs> I wasn't no, being that but, selfish. But you know what? One thing that was clear to me from reading it was, you know what? None of us like who have been through this sort of thing or sold these myths and fallen for them. None of us mm-hmm. are alone in that journey and none of us should self-flagellate for having done so. You know? Absolutely right. Yeah. And and I think, you know, when it comes to falling for that kind of, you know, marketing or misinformation, I think you're right. I, I think that is not a time to be hard on ourselves. Like, you know, no one is immune to to that. Um, you know, these messages are designed to suck us in. Um, they're designed to sell us something or make us feel a certain way. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't really, we shouldn't feel bad about that. We should we should, you know, keep that kind of um, disgust or uh, you know, irritation, whatever you want to call it, for the people who are kind of behind this, you know. And there's a, yeah. a massive industry uh, that makes money off our misery, <laughs> um, and and that that's sort of, you know, that's where we should be frustrated, you know, for ourselves. A, a little bit of compassion goes a long way. Mm-hmm. I could really sense that bit of. I don't want to use negative emotions, but that bit of anger and frustration that you felt about didn't you describe it as taking a wrecking ball to that industry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. I, that was me being restrained. Um, <laughs> but my my publisher's like, just get angry. I'm like, oh no, no, you don't. You won't like me when yeah, I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tactful, tactful. Like, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> and Nikki, I know I'm just going to encourage people to go and get the book because I just it really did. It was it was just such a lovely read for me. But how do you think if someone was to try and start thinking differently about their health, where do you think is a good place to start? I think that we need to start thinking about appreciating our bodies um mm. what they can do um what uh what we can um what we can do to nourish them and make them feel better um to look at it with with compassion as a you know as, as not some decorative item or something that needs to be punished but something that is you know really special um and you know when it comes to to doing these these health behaviors you know exhibit a little bit of compassion to ourselves you know what would you tell someone else in the the same situation mm-hmm. but also start thinking about you know I I'm, I'm not going to exercise because I want to fit into a pair of jeans I'm going to exercise because I enjoy walking um, with yeah. my friends or by the beach or you know I love being able to lift heavy things or I enjoy you know whatever it is it doesn't have to be anything special it just has to be something um and if you enjoy it and you feel you know confident and competent and and like you're you know a part of something bigger then I think that that is a a really important start to make when it comes to looking after ourselves a bit better I love that I absolutely love that I think self-compassion is just so under under underrated it's the one of the most hard I think it's one of the hardest things to learn what it is and to practice but yes. once you kind of it's like driving once you kind of get a good you reach that point where you don't have to think about changing the gears it's like having a little friend sit on your shoulder and say no it's okay like there's no need to talk to yourself like that take a step back absolutely yeah absolutely Nikki, I want to finish by just asking you to give the listeners, uh, if you could give one tip to bring bring a bit of 
Irish and Aussie <laughs> balance into their lives, what would that be? Oh, uh, Aussie balance. I know, one like, is hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I, won't say, I won't speak for, for the Irish people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can speak for the Aussie people. I think uh, don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, I think that, yeah. that, that would be Australian uh, way. That's the Australian way of life. Um, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it, um, that brings us a nice bit of balance. I love that. I love that. Thank you. I think a bit. Of, I think our Irish people could do with a bit of that as well. <laughs> we're all we're all about a bit of crack. So yeah, you, oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> this has been such a lovely listen. Thank you so much, um, Nikki. Would you be able to let people know where to find you on social media, your website, or anything you want to flag if people want to get in touch? And also, yes. if you plan a trip to Ireland, obviously let us oh, know. Oh, <laughs> you know, I was in I was in Ireland about eighteen months ago. I had a lovely time. Oh, it was so green and pretty. It was amazing. Um, uh, yeah, so but you can find me um, at, at Dr. Nikki Stamp on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And my website is Dr. Nikki Stamp. Uh, hang on, I'm getting it right. Yes, Dr. Nikki Stamp.com. <laughs> I had to think twice about my own website. (laughs) No, not at all. Listen, thank you so much for being such a great guest on the podcast. Guys, if you do want to get in touch and let us know what you thought, you can tag myself and Nikki in your Instagram stories. You can leave a comment on this podcast or you can give us a shout and let let us know if you enjoyed it. Nikki, thank you so much and thank you all for listening. I'll see you next week for the next episode.